Here we go. You are listening to Law and Gospel on this Monday, April the 12th in the year of our Lord 2021. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and we take a look at lessons for the coming Sunday, which is the third Sunday of Easter on April the 18th. The lessons are from Acts chapter 3, 1 John chapter 3, and Luke 24. Now, you probably noticed none of those are from the Old Testament. And during the season of the Sundays after Easter, the Old Testament is replaced with readings from Acts. So we're going to be taking a look at Acts chapter 3, 11 to 21. But it begins this way. While the lame man who was now healed clung to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's Astounded. Now, what are they talking about? You really need to go to the beginning of chapter 3 and learn about this lame beggar. In John chapter 9, you remember that Jesus healed a man who was blind since birth. Well, in this case, here's what it says. Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they lay daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So that's kind of the foreground to the reading that we have for this Sunday from Acts chapter 3, verses 11 to 21. So let's take a look at that. While the lame man was now healed, clung to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's Astounded. So 
they were astounded at this healing. And so we begin to learn how the apostles were also following the example of Jesus in bringing faith to an individual and healing. We know the man had faith because he always asked to be put at the temple. And then he was rejoicing and praising God after he was healed. So he was a man of faith. Now, when Peter saw all these people running together, he addressed them. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? See, that's a very common understanding of people that when they see someone do a great miracle or something astounding, it is either because they have the power to do that or the piety. Now, what does that mean? Well, that means they really do good works. And so the people have misunderstood what they have seen. They are thinking that Peter and John have a special power to make lame people walk, and maybe it's because they are so pious. Well, remember there was another individual who was not so pious. His name was Saul. And on the road to Damascus, he was converted by Jesus Christ, even though he was murdering Christians and he became an apostle to the Gentiles. He never indicated that when he was able to bring people to faith, that he did so on his own power. In fact, that's a very important point that pastors need to keep in mind. When the confession of sins is done in a worship service, we say, upon this your confession, I, by virtue, as a called and ordained servant of God, and by the authority of Jesus, forgive you your sins. We pastors have no power in and of ourselves to forgive sins, but we are the messengers of God, the Holy Trinity, and specifically Jesus in forgiving sins. So, after it is said that Peter and John, they addressed the people and they said, we did not do this by our own power or piety. Then verse 13 of Acts 3, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. So Peter is addressing the people, reminding them of the historical events surrounding the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And he is saying, remember, 
Pilate was willing to let him go. He said, I have found this man to be innocent. And then verse 14, but you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And who was that murderer? Of course, that was the individual that they decided we would rather let him live and crucify Jesus. So they denied the Holy One, asked a murderer to be granted to them, and then verse 15, and you killed the author of life. Now, why is Jesus referred to as the author of life? He's referred to as the author of life because he was the creator of all things. Just read the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God, and there was nothing created that was not created by the Word. And down in John 1.14, we find out, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is the Word of God, and he is the author of life. In fact, when the disciples were cowering in the upper room and Jesus appeared to them on the first Easter, that Sunday, remember Thomas wasn't there. And so therefore, Jesus was speaking to Thomas a week later and said, blessed are those who believe and have not seen me. And we made the point in the sermon yesterday that that was everybody in the congregation. Nobody had seen Jesus, but they had been given faith. Even though we at times ask for a murderer to be granted to us, which is ourselves. In fact, when Jesus went into the temple, he said, you have made my temple a den of robbers. That's the normal translation. That really is not the correct Greek translation into the English. It really is that you have made my temple a den of insurrectionists and murderers. You know, we often think about the two thieves on the cross. And what do we call them? We call them the two thieves. But they were really malefactors. They were murderers. They were not nice people. And one of them came to faith, was forgiven his sins, and went to heaven at the same time Jesus did in the Spirit. So Jesus is referring to the people through the apostles, reminding them that you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. That's very, very important. When Jesus met with the disciples, and that was last week's lesson, on the night of Easter, 
Remember, he breathed on them and he granted them the Holy Spirit. Well, that word for breathe is found only in one other place in the entire Bible, and it's in the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And what's the verse? After God had created Adam, it said he breathed on him and he became a living person. Those are the only two times that word breathe in that context is made. With the disciples on the night of the resurrection, where they received the gift of the Holy Spirit, and also to Adam. When did God breathe on you? Or did he? Yeah, he breathed on you, in my case, in the waters of baptism. For as Peter says in the Pentecost sermon, when you are baptized, you receive two gifts, the gift of the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. So getting back to what Peter is saying, you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. Now, when you take a look at the Bible, Was it God the Father alone who raised Jesus from the dead? No. Jesus himself says, I have the power to lay down my life and also to raise it up. Very important point that if Jesus raised his own life, then he is God. I can't understand how people read the Bible and don't see so clearly that Jesus is God from the very beginning of Genesis where he creates light and everything else, nothing is created apart from him. All the way to the end of Revelation where John is ready to bow down to the angel and the angel says, no, worship only God and that worship is directed to Jesus Christ. Peter continues in verse 16, and his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus Christ has given the man this perfect health, in the presence of you all. This is very important to understand that this man worshiping at the temple was one of the remnant of Israel who believed in the coming of the Messiah. We're not made clear whether he knew of Jesus and believed in Jesus, but he certain believed in the Old Testament promises concerning Jesus. He had faith in God. And it was that faith that resulted in him no longer being lame. It wasn't due to a special power or piety that Peter and John had. It was all due to Jesus Christ. 
See, this is why in every sermon, every Bible study, you always have to navigate back to Jesus, the cross, the resurrection, the ascension, because that's what the whole Bible is about, to focus on Jesus as the healer, not only of any disease, but also as the one who provides the gift of the forgiveness of sins. Verse 17, and now Peter's talking to these people who have participated in the crucifixion of Jesus. Brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance as did did also your rulers. In fact, doesn't Jesus say something like that from the cross? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. See, this was something that even the disciples had to learn. Because after the crucifixion and resurrection, they were still perplexed. Why did this happen to Jesus? They did not understand that. And the best example of that understanding, and we've mentioned this many a time, is on that road to Emmaus, when Jesus met with the disciples. And what did he do? Did he show himself to them? No. He hid himself. They did not recognize him. And he began a Bible study going through the Old Testament passages that all related to him as the Savior of the world. Psalm 22, pierced in hands and feet. That was the crucifixion. Passages in Isaiah, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So what Peter is saying here, what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. And remember, Jesus did not permit himself to die until every prophecy had been fulfilled. And one of the last ones was, again, from Psalm 22, that he would thirst. So he refused drink at the beginning of the crucifixion so that that prophecy would be fulfilled. And then when he had the drink At the end of the crucifixion, he said, it is finished. Those words ought to be, say, maybe on a sign in your bedroom, because there's nothing you need to do to finish the work of Jesus. He finished it, not only by his death on the cross, but by taking upon himself your sins. Therefore, Peter continues in verse 19, Acts 3, repent therefore and turn again that your sins may be blotted out. Now, in yesterday, we were looking at the text where Jesus says to the disciples, 
whosoever sins you remit, they are remitted. Now, there's a number of words that deal with sins being forgiven. And I've said for a long time that that means that you're no longer held accountable for your sins. But this particular word that Jesus uses for forgive actually has a meaning of sins being taken away. Now, when you are forgiven, where are those sins taken away to? They're taken away to the cross where Jesus pays for them. And the other part is, whosoever sins you do not forgive, they are retained. In other words, they are not taken away from you. Unbelievers prefer to be in a place where they pay for their own sins because they don't think they have that many anyway. And therefore, the message of Jesus, of Christianity, of repentance, and the gospel is ignored. So, Peter says, repent, turn again. And that word metanoia means a turn of mind to Jesus, and your sins will be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Now, that's the goal of every sermon, that we end on a note of refreshment or comfort. So many sermons do not end with that, but they end on a note of the law, where people are told, yeah, now that Jesus has risen from the dead, you need to be doing good works so that Jesus will continue to love you. No, that is dead wrong. Jesus already loves you. John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And therefore, this Jesus, who had been appointed to be the Christ, is the one through whom we receive the forgiveness of sins. Then verse 21, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. What is Peter talking about? He's talking about the day of judgment. Yes, when you come to faith, you are already in the kingdom of heaven. We call it the holy Christian church. But you do not have a perfect life of sanctification you continue to sin. But you also then continue to do good works, which are referred to as fruit of the Holy Spirit. Because through baptism, you have received the gift of the Holy Spirit. And therefore, while others appear to be doing good works, their motivation is not out of love for Jesus Christ because they don't believe in him. So their motivation is always out of self-interest. Even a good work, such as an individual 
giving funds to a hospital in order to help sick people is done out of self-interest because he feels good about what he is doing. And therefore, this is not a fruit of the Holy Spirit. So we'll be looking at a number of items that occurred after Easter, after Jesus rose from the dead, and also after he ascended into heaven, where the disciples continue to preach the message as Jesus gave it to them in Matthew 28. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, and that means even the Gentiles. And how are they to do that? By baptizing and teaching all things that Jesus has told them to preach. They are the messengers of God. And that's why worship, divine worship, is so important as you hear the message of Jesus Christ week after week. On tomorrow's Law and Gospel with Mark Smith, we'll be taking a look at a hymn that discusses what happens after Easter. It is entitled, With High Delight, Let Us Unite. Tomorrow's hymn on Law and Gospel. I'm Tom Baker. God bless you. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.